Good evening. Say that it is a joy and a pleasure to be able to stand before you this evening. As always, it is my prayer the things we have to talk about will be in accordance with God's Word, and that they will be edifying to you, that you'll be able to take some thoughts from our study together this evening and make immediate application in your life. I was asked, I guess Thursday evening, had an emergency change of schedule, and uh, the person who needed to make the change knew that I have a lot of sermons built and that I would likely be able to cover on short notice. What they didn't know was that I had some thoughts in mind and would write a sermon from Thursday to today. And if you've spent a, a study with me, you know sometimes I have a hard time parsing information down. So we've got a lot of information we want to go through this evening. I'll ask you to bear with me. There's going to be some of this that I move through rapidly. I want to talk about truth tonight. And Mark, I do not have my glasses, and the monitor is not showing up here. So as we work on that, y'all may get to watch me squint all evening. Um, this is a topic that has been on my mind for a while. It has, I don't know, I guess as far back as I can remember, there's a, a parable, a story written by a human philosopher that we'll go through. <laughs> I guess I can turn around and read so I don't squint. Um, that we'll look at that really spurred some of the thoughts for this topic. As I was preparing this lesson, I used the PowerPoint design, and it gave me the guy standing out in front of the maze here, and I thought that was really interesting because my kids do activity books, and of course there's mazes in those. If you've ever done a maze, you know there's one way through the maze. As you're moving your pencil, you you can cheat and go across the lines, but that's not truly going through the maze. There's one true way through the maze. Our civilization, our society, specifically Western civilization, does not value truth much at all. Um, It's just become almost a byword, if not just absolutely abused. And truth bears great importance in God's Word. And I hope we can bear that out and and also bear out the importance it needs to have in our life. We're going to start with Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men. That's everybody. Now, when talking about the book of Romans, I usually say this first part's talking about the Gentiles. Sure, that applies. This says it's revealed against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. And that truth there is very specific. He's going to talk about that truth a lot throughout this part of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. How are they suppressing the truth? Well, they're suppressing it in unrighteousness. They're suppressing it to perform their unrighteous deeds. God's wrath is going to be revealed from heaven because of that unrighteousness. It's interesting to me that he links the truth here and what may be known of God. Truth and what may be known of God. 
and that plays an important role in civilization, human civilization throughout time, as we begin to suppress truth, we begin to suppress what is known of God, His statutes, His judgments, His moralities, and we boost ourselves up as the highest and greatest good. So, just defining terms, you can take the word truth here in, in Romans 1, it just, if you look it up, it just means verity or truth. That's not very helpful, so go to Google. That is the quality or state of being true, that tracks. That which is true in accordance with fact or reality, I can agree with that. A fact or belief that is accepted as true. Now we're getting on a different path here. And honestly, that third definition is what I expected to find number one when I went to Google. A fact or belief that is accepted as true. Not verified as true, it is not necessarily the truth, it's just what's accepted. We believe this to be true. Now, my dad, he was an ag teacher at first, but then he taught science in Stratford for many years. <clears throat> I can remember from a young age, sitting in his science classroom, flipping through the books and going through stuff on his computer, going, how do they know all this? Well, it's generally accepted as true until a new study comes along that says, okay, maybe that's not what the truth is. With that definition in mind, there are two types of truths that we deal with in society. There's objective truth and subjective truth. Now, those are my, or my terms, those are human terms, not terms you'll find in the Bible. So for the purpose of defining these things, I'll give you a definition of objective truth. That is a fact that remains a fact, regardless of circumstance, experience, feeling, or wishes. A fact that remains a fact, regardless of how you feel about it or what you wish and desire. An example of that is gravity. An object at rest will stay at rest at an elevated level as long as it has support. If I let go, it goes to the floor. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if I don't want it to fall. I can't tell you how many of my mom's priceless heirloom vases that I knocked over and fell, and I did not want those things to hit the floor. But it didn't matter how bad I didn't want it to happen. Gravity was there. It was immutable. And then we have subjective truth. That is, fill in the blank makes the best vehicles. And I didn't know who I could go with in this audience and not lose some of you, so whoever you wish makes the best vehicles. It doesn't matter. It's a subjective truth. You can put any number of varied metrics in there that are the things you look for in a car and say, that's the truth. For me, they make the best vehicle. Absolutely. Now, you can combine metrics and decide overall what's the best car for the value and that kind of thing, but it's still subjective at the end of the day. It's a truth that doesn't really have a lot of bearing on life. So we have objective truth and subjective truth. What happens is society, and this is again a common occurrence throughout human history, tries to take subjective truth and make it objective. And it happens slowly over time. It's not an immediate process. And with our society, I can kind of track back to when this started to happen <clears throat> with a really popular movie franchise. This is Star Wars. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's being confronted by Luke Skywalker for telling him that his dad was dead and that Darth Vader killed him. Darth Vader has since revealed that he is his father, and Obi, or Obi-Wan, Luke says, you lied to me. Obi-Wan's defense is, it's true from a certain point of view. 
subjective truth, really a subjective lie, offered as objective truth. And I love this because Lucas came back and fixed his own lie when Luke saved his father and pulled him back from the dark side. Anakin Skywalker wasn't dead. He undid his own lie. But that's how it begins, and it's just presented as this philosophical truth. It just depends on how you look at it. And a lot of life is true from our current point of view, but that doesn't make it objectively true. And we cannot substitute those things. Real truth matters. We have coined a term, and I think our philosophers are really proud of themselves for coining this term, postmodernism. Postmodern thought covers a wide theoretical area, but informs modern epistemology, particularly when it comes to truth. In simple terms, postmodernists describe truth not as a relationship outside of the human mind that we can align belief to, but as a product of belief. We never access reality because we can never get outside our own beliefs to do so. Our beliefs function as filters that keep reality, if such a thing exists, beyond us. Since we can never access reality, it does no good to describe knowledge or truth in terms of reality because there's nothing we can actually say about reality that's meaningful. Truth, then, is constructed by what we perceive and ultimately believe. Did you catch all that? There's no truth. Whatever you believe. Truth is what you make it. It is a construct. Now, if you get in with a really, really good philosopher, a really studied and learned philosopher, they're going to argue circles with you, as you say, but if you believe that, that's a truth. That is one truth, and it undoes your whole argument. If there's no truth, that must be a truth. Now, again, you can argue circles, but what they really are talking about here, and I don't have a formal definition for this, but it's cognitive dissonance. We can't get outside our own beliefs to decide or perceive what is actually true or not. doesn't matter what evidence you're presented with, what facts you're given, you're not going to change your beliefs. And we see a lot of that in our world today. Misinformation, disinformation has become a flash word, a flag word that comes up all the time. Well, if there's no truth, then there can't be mis- or disinformation, but they say we're operating on the wrong construct. But it's all just a construct. It is whatever you make it. We cannot access anything outside of our own beliefs. The Bible refutes that in multiple places. John 17, 17. Nope, John 18, 38. Pilate said to him, let's back this whole thing up. This thought process is not new to us. We see it with Pilate. When Jesus is before him, Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate was having a struggle. He knew the truth. The truth was Jesus was innocent. The truth was he was delivered because of envy. The truth was he was delivered for the sacrifice to be the sacrifice for humanity. But Pilate's struggle was that he was about to send a righteous man to his death. So he throws his hand up and says, What is truth? Let the crowd decide. Truth by committee. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5 says, And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for what God, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan told Eve, You're operating under the wrong construct. 
God's built this wall around you so you don't become like Him. It's just a wrong construct. You're not going to die. That's not the truth. Operate under this construct where you can take this fruit and be like God's, knowing good and evil. Now, Jesus tells us we can know truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And this thought process, this idea is carried throughout the New Testament. And I tried to stay in the New Testament because I didn't have a lot of time and I did not need to add any more passages to this study. But it is pervasive in the New Testament. Your word is truth. God's truth, the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth. Not a construct of truth that you maybe should believe in or can believe in to find a better life, but it, the one and only. In John 8, after Jesus has said, you shall know the truth, the truth will set you free, he asked the question, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks for his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And we have here a very clear example of cognitive dissonance. He's speaking to Jews here, people that should have known who God was. Jesus has come to them. He's performed miracles. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, We know you're from God. No one can do the miracles you do except God be with him. But he gave a hard teaching that Nicodemus couldn't understand. He's given hard teaching that these people don't want to understand because it undoes their core belief. Does it matter that it undoes your core belief if it's the truth? What we find is God is an irresistible force for which there is no immovable object. It doesn't matter if we believe it or not. Them not believing in Jesus Christ didn't change the truth of who God was, who His Son was, and who we are before Him as our Creator. Truth doesn't change. We have here a litmus test for ourselves. When interacting with God's Word... We run into something that's uncomfortable, that's difficult, that's hard to hear and harder to put into practice. Do we turn away from Jesus because we can't hear Him? Do we hate Him because He tells us the truth? Do we not believe Him? It just can't be that way. Do we wrestle and wrangle with truths given to us by the Son of God and by His Father? I think it's important to look at this because of where we are societally, and I want to run down some things with you. We talk about humanism a lot, and I'm going to give very, very simplified, oversimplified definitions of these things. But humanism simply defined as where we place prime importance on the human rather than the divine. And it's a paradox. Now, we don't have how we get to humanism, how that process comes about. That's a different chart for a different time. But... Humans become the most important thing. And generally speaking, as you look throughout history, as humans become the most important thing, we move to materialism or hedonism, where material existence is all that we have, thus gathering materials to ourselves is the highest calling. We've got to have more stuff than everyone else because having stuff is all there is. That's it, that's all. And as a society... Ages and progresses, we're no longer working just to survive from daylight or from dark to dark. We begin to consider and ponder our own existence. We want to be comfortable. 
Not only do we want to be comfortable, we want to be entertained. And we see this. Consider the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what King Solomon did. He wanted to have himself comfortable and entertained. Well, what that causes in humanity is us to treat each other like products. Unfettered capitalism is very, very, very dangerous. Because it makes me suspicious of everyone else and makes me in competition with everyone else. And the only thing I care about is getting more than you. Because that makes me better. We rock along with that, and as we've seen in our society, that leads to a lot of discomfort and anger because it leads to a lot of injustice. Lots of people get trampled on and left behind in people's pursuit for wealth and power. We get sick of that, and so we decide humanity needs justice and equality, thus we must govern what people are able to gather themselves. We turn to things like socialism, communism, and fascism. Now, I know those all aren't all the same thing, but I would argue that they're, same things on the very, or they're on the same scale, just function different ways. The government is in control of all three of those. History will tell you that. Now, these, there are biblical concepts for those two things. Muzzle not the ox. That's if you do the work, you get to eat. To do good and communicate. Communicate means to share, forget not. But when you run to the extreme with those things and take God out of the equation because humanity is the best, then you get in a mess. And I missed the left-hand side of my chart here. Humanism begins with the thought process. The question is, who is God? Is there a God? And what is God? And it's sometimes an honest thought process that turns very ugly. Who is God? That's not necessarily a bad question. Is there a God? Now we're beginning to get on a little darker path. What is God? Now we've turned Him from an impersonal being to a cosmic coincidence. We just here, we just happened. Well, then we turn to desire is God. What I want is the God of my life. And whatever I can do to get it, whoever I can cheat, whoever I can abuse, whoever I can steal from, that is worthy. And then we turn to we are God or the state is God. And guess what happens with socialism, communism, and fascism? The people at the top begin to accumulate mass riches and wealth, and we get sick of seeing them abuse us, and they get overthrown. And we look at that and go, none of those things work. So we turn to nihilism. And nihilism has stated that none of the things above have worked, thus life has no meaning and is just cruel and unfair. God is dead. Nothing has any meaning. And I'll tell you, we're seeing a lot of nihilism in our world today. Because we have been on this cycle for a long time. We have seen rapacious capitalism. Gather all you can, as much as you can, from whomever you can, because it's just business. We've seen some trying to work communism and still trying some back and forth, but a lot of people have skipped those steps and gone right to nihilism. Nihilism is what leads people to destroy human lives without care. Life having no value and no meaning is what causes people to take up guns and firearms and go into churches and go into schools and destroy humanity. And it all happens because we remove truth from our lives. There is no standard of truth. There's nothing that matters because there's no standard by which we can all judge one another and have ourselves be held accountable. So truth matters. We can't know truth without Jesus Christ. As we have removed God from our society, we have removed truth from our society, and we've got where we are today. 
Parable of the Madman. And as I'm going to have to turn around the whole time, I won't read this whole thing. I'll read what's bolded there. How could we drink up the sea? I'll give you the context. So this is Nietzsche. He's a philosopher. Nietzsche hated God. He thought humanism was the way to go. And he thought he could figure out a way. Now, Nietzsche was brilliant. He was the most foolish, brilliant man, one of the most foolish, brilliant men to have ever lived. As Nietzsche considered the end results, the end of the day test for what he wanted to believe about humanity, this is what he came up with. So he's given here a parable of a madman that's gone into the marketplace at sunrise and inquired, where is God? There's people there that don't believe in God and they're mocking him, saying, where is God? His response is, I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backward, sideward, forward in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite continual, or as, as through an infinite nothing, nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? This man wanted to stamp God's name out from everywhere that it ever existed. But he saw the end result of that. I'll give him credit for understanding what that would lead to. If you can ponder the ability to fall in every direction in utter darkness and coldness. That is, if you could put a picture to chaos, that's it. That's it. When you remove truth, when you remove God, you create chaos. Now the truth of the fact is, God cannot be killed. His truth cannot be killed. What we do is kill ourselves to Him. Turn ourselves off to Him. And we see what we have in our world today when we do that. Nietzsche wrote towards the end of that that he was too early. That men hadn't received the news of the death of God yet. But the time would come. We're seeing a lot of that now. <clears throat> this is directly from a Canadian website. Bill C-4, which has been passed and approved and received royal assent in Canada, changes Canada's criminal code by creating new criminal offenses related to conversion therapy. And we'll define conversion therapy here in a minute. But it creates new criminal offense related to that. And that is knowingly causing another person to undergo conversion therapy or receiving financial or material benefit from conversion therapy. Conversion therapy being defined as practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms with the sex assigned to person at birth, repress or re reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to them at birth. Now, when you first hear gender therapy, you think, okay, this is going to be all right, but it's absolutely the opposite of what you would think. It is now punishable in Canada to preach that God made you a gender at your birth and you should stay that gender. If I was in Canada right now, I would stand in danger of doing jail time. This is Canada, just north of us. This past this January, 
It is a law on the books right now. And in case you're wondering, it is punishable by imprisonment. Five years, two years, and two years for various offenses. That's rough. That is the earth being unchained from its sun. Falling in all directions. This is a society and a civilization falling apart. Because nothing matters. There is no truth. It's all good. The paradox of it is as we build up and lift up humanity as the greatest good, we just make ourselves more valueless, less valuable. Because without God, I have no value to any of you, except for what I can do for you. Without God, none of you have any value to me except what you might can do for me. And as soon as you can't do something for me, you're out. And trying to get people to conform to the truth in a society, in a civilization where God has been removed, will get you thrown in jail. In case you're thinking, that, yeah, that's all well and good, but it's not going to happen. This gentleman right here, as of September 7th, is sitting in jail for refusing to buy into the lie and give verbal acknowledgement of the lie. Because he wouldn't call someone by a gender other than what they were born. School teacher. Now, he is a devout religious person. So, of course, they're using him as a scapegoat. They want to make a, a statement with him. But don't think it can't happen. I haven't done the research for myself. I can't tell you if it's true. But I'm told in Amarillo, Texas right now, there's teaching on fluidity, gender fluidity going on today. Again, hearsay secondhand. But if it's in Canada, it's a lot closer than we want to acknowledge. This particular guy, now this isn't Canada, this is Ireland, but he's sitting in jail at the moment. This isn't the end of the slippery slope. This is not the end of the earth being unchanged from the sun and us falling perpetually in every direction. I'm not going to leave that on the board very long, but that was given at a TED Talk. Scholars say that pedophilia is now a sexual orientation that should be accepted by society. I can't tell you. As a dad, and it's funny, I ran through this several times so it wouldn't do this. I can't tell you what that does to me as a father. Where have we gone? Now, that's not largely accepted in all of academia, but there are scholars in the United States of America that take that stance. Where is truth? Friends, it's with us. We have it. And if the world doesn't know it, then we've got to stand up and present it more clearly to them. Isaiah 5, verses 20 through 23 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice for the righteous man. And this is a long passage of woes in Isaiah 5. I encourage you to go check it out. Now this is specifically to the children of Israel. Calamity on those who do these things, who call evil good and good evil. The world is standing on its head. It's not new to us. While these things disgust me and they turn my stomach, and in case you can't tell, yes, I get a little emotional about it. 
And you can tell by how fast I've been rattling off. I've been thinking about this stuff for a while. But this is not new to us. Israel was told that this is what's going on with y'all. God pronounced judgment on them. Now, because God pronounced judgment specifically on Israel, I want to look at an example a little closer to home for us. We read verses 18 and 19 that we are without excuse who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He goes on to say, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, neither were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Without excuse. From the beginning of creation. We can deny God, we can push God to the side, we can relegate Him to the closet, but that doesn't make His truth a lie. And it doesn't make our lies the truth. Now, I don't know that it's possible for any of us to know the entire truth or all of the truth. It is a constant process for us. Learning the truth, interacting with the truth, becoming the truth, conforming to the truth. But when we pull ourselves out of the way and take our core beliefs and apply them strictly from the Bible, because we're without excuse to know our God, then we're not like these people. Continuing on, he says, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into images, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Change the truth of God for a lie. And the truth of God is that He exists. That He is our Creator and that He is the standard giver. And that His standard is given not by some arbitrary means to push down and put humanity in our place because God is God regardless of what He tells us but so that we might know Him and serve Him. And here we have the paradox we talked about earlier. We build ourselves up, put ourselves in the place of God, and we become less valuable. God says, have it your way. And it's ugly. It's vile. We make ourselves wretched. And we see this the days of Paul, we see it in the days of Noah, and we see it around us today. Continuing on, he says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Skip to chapter 2, verse 2, But we know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who practice, who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now here he's getting the people that want to acknowledge who God is and how much of this have we seen in our society. Started with the Catholic Church and it went on with them. We've seen it now move to the Baptist Convention and ugly things going on there. People that proclaim to know God, condemning those that do such things for practicing themselves. It's an ugly state of affairs. How did they get here? How did it happen? They suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. He goes on to reiterate the point, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, 
you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by penitent patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jews first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. What's he talking about here? Those who work what is good. He's been talking about truth this whole time. Truth is what we receive from God. Truth is what God has delivered to us. Not just knowing it. Academically, that does no good. But actually putting that to work in our lives so that we work righteousness. And what we find a lot, what I have found a lot in Scripture by looking at these two things, we can put truth and righteousness side by side with God. But it's to all people the Jews and the Greeks. We see Jude weigh in on this. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which once was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. This is largely what we see in the religious world, and this is what you run into a lot in the world when they know you believe God's standard. Now he says first, contend for the faith. The faith there being the system of faith in Jesus Christ that was delivered to all the saints. That is, faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Him coming to this earth in redeeming man at the cross and us submitting ourselves to Him in baptism. He goes on to say, Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny our Lord Jesus Christ. King James says lasciviousness. And I really like that word with what it's describing here. That's looseness. That's frivolity. Let's go live your life how you want because Christ came to forgive sin, so it's all good. Your Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to humanity, so what are we talking about? It doesn't matter what you or I do. Salvation has been given. Jude himself gives the explanation that that's not right. I want to remind you, though, you knew this. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Led them out by the hand. But those that didn't walk with Him, those that wouldn't accept His grace, He had wander in the wilderness until they died. Now, specifically, the grace of God with salvation is not a lewdness. Paul talks about that in, um, in Romans 6. You're a new person. It's not license to go live how you want and do your own thing. It's liberation from the penalty of death. We'll see from Jesus here in a minute that we're, it's salvation in the truth. Jude says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Jude didn't despair that people had crept in. Now, he wanted to warn them. He wanted them to contend for their faith. To do that, they had to prepare themselves. They did that by building each other up, being built up in the love of God, being one body. They made a distinction by, for some, having compassion. They saved others by fear, so they weren't just building themselves up. They were trying to save as many as would hear, as many as they could reach. In John 17, verse 18, Jesus has said, Sanctify them through, their tr through your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, he says, You sent me into the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And there's a lot going on right here in this passage of John. But Jesus said we would be sanctified because he was sanctified. We would be sanctified in truth. What's the truth there? That God predestined his son before he formed the world to come be the atonement for sin. That he would give mankind an opportunity to, to be remade in his image, to be reset, to look like him. And that in doing this, as he and God are one, we might be one. But notice what he says, as you sent me out, I send them out. I'll tell you what my response has been as I've watched this world go insane. As I have watched it call evil good and good evil has been to go, I am not contending with any of that. I'm out. Now, I'm kind of a homebody and an introvert anyway, so that's not been difficult for me to do. But as I've studied this truth, Jesus says, God, you sent me and I'm sending them. We got to go. We can't let the world fall into its own chaos without us standing up and saying there is truth in God. Because I'll tell you, there's another part to that chart that is a cycle back around. When mankind gets sick of nihilism, when they get sick of watching each other destroy one another because nothing matters, they turn back to God and go, there's got to be something better than this. And they become ready to listen. They fall apart so much that they get sick of killing each other and they go, there's got to be more than this. And that's where God's people need to be standing going, yes, Jesus Christ wants more for you than this. God wants more for you than this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, and I'll, for the sake of time, won't read all that, skip down to verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, he's talking about what God has ordered in his body. Elders and teachers, the things be being specific that we have today. Feeding the flock of God, providing the things to those that are in the congregation for the purpose of building one another up. Not holding back with our speech, 
but speaking the truth in love. Because we can go out and we can tell people the truth, and it looks really ugly. I watch it happen all the time on social media. There's a lot of truth being given, but it's not in love. It looks a lot like hate. Meant to tear down, meant to destroy, and to detract. Speaking with purpose for God means exhorting people to repent. Showing them who they are before their God in truth so that they can repent. Now, specifically in the context of this passage, that's us doing that for one another. So the body can be built up so it can do the work that God has given for us to do. What's that work? Just to go teach the lost. But we've got to have this relationship with one another where we can speak the truth in love. Causing growth of the body to, ed- to the edifying of itself. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives, gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. A whole lot going on in this passage. But it's a whole lot of sin that we see going on in our world. Again, it's not new to us. And again, we don't see the Apostle Paul despairing. We don't see him giving instruction to Timothy to go lock your doors and get away from those folks. Don't have anything to do with them because they're not going to listen to you anyway. Now, he tells him there are going to be these people that are so corrupt, they will not receive the truth. They will not receive God's Word. Not going to happen. What's Paul's answer to that? This has just struck me as I've considered these two passages together. So here we're in 2 Timothy 3, go on down, 2 Timothy 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Watch out for these people. This is going to happen. These people are going to be lovers of sales, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. They're not going to love God. They won't love the truth. But preach the word. Be in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth, be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What's the answer? It's not what I wish it was. It's not the easy way out. We can't go build a Christian community, put walls up around it, have stuff shipped in and out, grow our own goods and go, you guys are crazy and you're just going to destroy yourselves. It's to go into the fire and pull as many people out as we can. How are those people going to be manifest as Janus and Jambres were manifest? How are they going to be known? They're going to be known because we're out presenting the truth to the world. Because we're out holding up the standard, putting our lives on the line, 
putting our reputations on the line, putting our credibility in the community on the line for the sake of the truth. Showed you the teacher from Ireland. He's lost his job. He's received a lot of ridicule online. A lot of hatred, received death threats because he wouldn't conform. Now, I know he's from a religious background. I don't know what that is. But I know that's a man I can look at and respect for standing for the truth. That doesn't make these issues not difficult. It doesn't make these issues not emotional. But those things being difficult and emotional doesn't mean there's not a truth. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will give them repentance so they may know the truth, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by Him to do His will. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said in John 8? You're of your father, the devil, and you're going to do his lusts. His desires are what you're going to execute because he is a liar and there's no truth in him. Made captive to do his will. The answer is for God's people to stand up, to not shy away, to despise the lies and injustice that we see in our society. To stand up and say, all I can tell you is that God has a standard and we will all be judged by it. And I love the way Paul phrased it here. Must not quarrel, but be gentle to all people. Able to teach and patient. Now, Timothy was an evangelist. This was his job day to day. We're not all evangelists. But I've looked at the standard that Paul gives. I've spent more time in Timothy, so we'll just say especially Timothy. And I've looked at those things and gone, now while I don't have the authority that he gave Timothy, I can do a lot of the work that he gave Timothy. And I can put to work in my life a lot of the things that Paul wanted Timothy to be doing in my life. You don't have to have the office of an evangelist to be gentle. You don't have to have the office of an evangelist to be patient. And to help teach those who are captive to Satan. Doing his will. You see, at the highest level of abstraction, we have two choices. There's a lot of nuance when you get down here in the mud with all of us, with all of humanity. But at the highest level of, of abstraction, there's two choices. You're going to serve God in the truth, or you're going to suppress the truth in unrighteousness and serve Satan. And the truth is, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. Now, we've looked at John 17... God's word is truth. We've looked or talked about the example of Jesus where he proclaimed himself to be the truth. If you want to know the truth, you want to find the truth, it's written down for us. We could have looked in the books of Timothy where Paul exhorts Timothy there at the end of 2 Timothy 3 in the things he wants him to do to stay in God's word because it's spirit breathed. It's got everything we need. If it's got everything we need, it's got everything the world needs. What may be lacking is someone to take it to them. Now, I'll admit this is a very personal sermon as I've considered the world in its current state and my response and what it has been to it. Maybe you haven't suffered with these things, but maybe 
it will encourage you to go be a little more vocal, a little more intentional as you interact with a world that is in woe, that is in calamity, because it is standing on its head wondering why everything else got turned upside down. Not everyone will hear. Not everyone will respond. But everyone that will needs to have the opportunity to hear God's Word from us. It starts with us. Jesus gave the teaching that if we're going to go out and help others remove the beam from their eye, the moat from their eye, we need to remove the beam from ours. We need to build each other up and be the family here that God wants. In response to that, as we close this sermon this evening, we offer the invitation of Christ. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls. It's not ours, it's His. If you're carrying that heavy burden tonight and wish to lay it on Jesus' feet and take up His burden, the church is here to serve you. If we can offer prayers on your behalf, or if you're ready to submit and turn your life over to God in baptism, the church stands ready and willing to serve if you'll come as we stand and as we sing.